0: Welcome to The Living Room Podcast. The Living Room is the college ministry at Buckhead Church in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information, you can check out The Living Room ATL on Instagram. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this talk. Man, man, what's up, fam? How y'all doing? Y'all feeling good? Come on, come on. Hey, I just want to start off by saying this. It is such an honor to get to do ministry in the city of Atlanta alongside y'all. Like I really mean that and hear me on this, I'm stressing alongside y'all, because I don't feel like at all our team is doing ministry like for you. Like I feel like we're doing it with you. Like when we show up on Monday nights as a community, I mean, I just walk around beforehand just moments ago and like I'm hearing those of you who are like battling traffic, like 400 is like backed up, like the highway and like the turn lane is backed up. I know it's tough to get to Buckhead on a Monday night. I know you got a lot going on. I hear about people who are taking Ubers because shuttles are overflowing at Georgia State and the AUC. It's unbelievable. Every single week, like tons of first time people are showing up, why? Because y'all are inviting your friends and you want your campuses to be different. Y'all, I don't know if you've been paying attention or not to social media, but there is something on your generation. Like God is doing something fresh and unique in this generation, in your generation. And it is an honor to get to do ministry alongside your generation. So man, like what God's doing here in our community, it's unbelievable. But can I just tell you something? Can I let you in on something that I really feel our team really feels here at Buckhead? Is that the best days are the next days. Like the best is yet to come. Like there was a minute where we were like, hey, we're gonna open the balcony because some people like it. Now we need to open the balcony because there's not enough space down here on the floor. And that's y'all. So hey, let's just keep going and see what God has in store for our city. But man, it's incredible to get to be a part of this with y'all. Um, if we've never met before, my name's Matt and I get to lead TLR here at Buckhead. And whether it's your first time or you come all the time or it's your first time in a long time, uh, I am so honored that you're here. Uh, I wish this was a touch screen because I'd just be like, no, I don't know what that means, but our team's figuring that out. Um, but this graphic uh, behind this, as y'all can see last week, we kicked off this new series here at TLR called Riz, Roses, and Red Flags. And in Riz, Roses, and Red Flags part part one, let me give you just a quick summary of where we were, uh, where we've been in part one, just to catch you up to speed in case you missed it or if you just need a quick refresher. Um, So in part one, we really talked about the topic of dating and relationships. And we kind of talked about the idea um, that for many of us, our primary dating strategy is to focus on, on who? So like to focus on who and to look for the right person. And we talked about what would it look like if you just kind of shifted your dating strategy just a little bit. And instead of focusing on who, you more so focused on, on you. Focus on you more than who. And we talked about the challenge of, man, stop looking for the right person and start becoming the right person. And if that you, if you stopped looking for the right person and started focusing on becoming the right person, that your dating life could transform. So that's where we were in part one of this series. And tonight we get to continue this conversation in Riz, Roses, and Red Flags, part two. And I just wanna start off by saying tonight, uh, the topic is one that I'm not gonna be able to cover everything I'd like to cover in the next 25 or so minutes. Like it's too big of a topic tonight. And I don't know if our screen's working yet. It's still saying to provide the clearest picture. Uh, it looks clear to me, but let's just see if this is working here. Uh, tonight's topic is, is this right here. It's on the side screens, that's even better. It's even bigger. We don't, we don't need this thing, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, but tonight's topic is sex. That's, that's what we're talking about. Let me just say from the top, my aim tonight is not to tell you what to do. So let me just like, let the air out a little bit, breathe a little bit. My aim tonight is not to tell you what to do. It's not to put shame on you or to act as if I'm the expert, so just listen up to what I'm about to say and do exactly whatever it is that I tell you. No, that's not my aim at all. My aim tonight is to propose to you some thoughts to at least consider when it comes to the topic of sex and more specifically your sexual ethic, the the way that you view this area of your life, the way that you live out this area of your life, your sexual ethic, the sexual ethic that you uphold. I'm most likely tonight going to say some things at some point that might challenge you. Maybe some things that you've never really considered or you haven't considered it in, in this way. I, I probably, I'm just going to say this up front. I'll probably say some things that you may not agree with or you're pretty confident that you actually fully disagree with. That's okay. Ultimately, my aim tonight in this conversation is to propose to you a sexual ethic that I believe can bring about more freedom and joy in your life and less shame, pain, and regret. And I believe that regardless if you're a Christ follower or not, or whatever you might currently believe about sex or the sexual ethic you might currently be living by, regardless of all that, I think our world, we could all agree our world needs more of that. We need less pain and shame and regret and more freedom and joy. And so I think tonight's conversation at least can propose a sexual ethic to you that can bring about that. And the primary narrative, I wanna start here, the primary narrative that I think for many of you that you've heard when it comes to this topic, especially if you grew up in the church or even more especially like if you grew up in a Christian household, the primary narrative might've sounded something like this. Do we have it up? Yeah, don't, don't do it. Do not have sex, like just say no to sex. Like I, I've said this before, but it might've kind of felt like like Dare. You know about Dare? Any of y'all know about Dare? Okay, you know like D, I won't do drugs, A, won't have an attitude Yeah. R I will. Okay, we'll stop there. Um, I, I was a big fan of Dare, the song was was awesome. Um, but it kind of might've felt like that, like Dare was like, just say no to drugs. Maybe the primary narrative for you is doing like, oh, just say no to sex, just say no to sex. And, I wanna let you know too, that this is not going to be a just say no to sex message. While I understand the intent and the motivation behind that advice, I also think that advice has the potential to be dangerous advice. And here's why, because it could lead you to believing that sex is a bad thing. If, If your whole life, the primary narrative you've heard is just don't do it, don't just say no to sex, then you could start to believe that sex is a bad thing when in reality, sex was God's idea. Sex is is a great thing. In fact, uh, let's look at the very beginning of scriptures and the first two human beings on planet earth that God created, Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter one, verse 28, look at what it says. It says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, you need to understand, this was not like an agricultural statement. Like this wasn't God being like, oh, like, you know, no, this was God saying, hey, this is my design. I want you to procreate. I want you to fill up the earth, make it happen. This was his design. This was his plan from the beginning. He, he came up with this idea. And so here's what I believe. And here's kind of the direction of this message tonight is that we cannot allow the world to define what God has designed. Our world, come on, you know this to be true. Our world has taken something that God created and distorted it. Sex has been used in ways that God never intended for it to be used. And do you wanna know why, honestly, I believe we've got to talk about this this topic tonight? Why I think this conversation is so important and so worth having? It's because the world's already talking about it. I'm not bringing up a new conversation tonight. I'm just speaking into an existing dialogue. And here's what I know to be true. The reality is this right here. We we are living in a hypersexualized culture that's distorting our view of sex and feeding our sexual appetite. That you and I are living in a hyper-sexualized culture that is currently distorting our view of sex and feeding into our sexual appetite. And culture primarily wants to promote the idea that our sexual desires should be met immediately. That we shouldn't have to wait. Everything should be on demand, much like the way almost everything else in our world is now designed to function. That if you have sexual desires, you shouldn't have to wait. They should be met immediately. When you want them, how you want them, whatever it looks like. Like that's the idea our our culture is selling to us. And, And here's what I know to be true, whether you intended for this to happen or not, because of that, we've developed a consumer mentality when it comes to our sexual desires. You and I, whether we have intended for this to happen or not, which we probably haven't intended for this to happen, that we've developed a consumer mentality when it comes to our sexual desires, to our sexual appetites. In fact, uh, let me just read you a few statistics that I wrote down on this card, um, and I think these statistics are, are, are helpful, and they pertain to the conversation, the discussion that we're, happening, we're having tonight. Check this out. Porn sites receive more traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. Just, this is true. These are facts. You can look these up. Next one. Oh, 11... 11 years old is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn. And 94% view porn by the age of 14. 94% of kids will view porn before they ever go into high school. 33% of women who are 25 and under view porn at least once a month. So I wanted to share that statistics because it's not just pornography, it's not just a male issue. And the last one I'll share is that approximately 40 to 50, closer to 50% of marriages in the United States will end in divorce. So y'all, there seems to be a problem. I think we could all agree on that. Like there seems to be something that needs to change. And you know what I think's behind, one of the primary motives behind a lot of these statistics that I just read? It's this thing called lust. And lust is a powerful feeling of desiring something. Lust takes your God-given sexual desires and adds selfishness into the equation. Lust is self-centered and it will always overpromise and yet underdeliver. Lust will lead you to pursue things. Pursue sexual desires that you have and it will leave you never fully and finally satisfied. Always wanting more. Lust always shouts more and now, more and now. And so maybe the narrative that you've heard when it comes to sex, it wasn't just don't say no, but it, it, it kind of went a little bit further than that. It was just don't have sex until marriage. That's it, like, like don't have sex until marriage. Like just wait until marriage. Translation, sex before marriage is sinful, but sex after marriage is holy. Maybe that's, that's like the primary narrative you've been told throughout the majority of your life. Can I just tell you something that I've observed? I don't have a statistic for this, but I feel like fewer and fewer people are actually holding to or trying to hold to that sexual ethic. Like I'm not naive to believe that there's many of you in here, that you're like, come on, Matt, this is 2023, bro. That sexual ethic is outdated, it's unrealistic. In fact, many people who would say they hold this view, this sexual ethic of waiting till marriage, they've actually violated at some point their own ethic. And side note, when that happens, when we violate our own sexual ethic, usually what we expect is we expect grace and justification, like a reason why it happened. But when others violate the sexual ethic, we usually extend shame and condemnation towards them. For us, we want grace, We want justification. For others, we we extend shame and condemnation. We want them to know that there's consequences. So you possibly have heard these narratives. Don't have sex and just don't have sex until marriage. And here's what I know to be true for a lot of you, is you've heard this, but you've never really been given convincing or compelling reasons as to why waiting until marriage actually matters. So as a result, you're like, wait until marriage, why? Why would I wait to have sex until marriage? Maybe for some of you, you've heard that, well, if you wait to have sex until marriage, then it is going to guarantee that your marriage will thrive. If you wait to have sex until marriage, then you'll have the best sex life imaginable. Or then you won't ever be comparing your spouse to others. If you wait to have sex until marriage, maybe you've heard this, then virginity is the greatest gift you could ever give to your spouse. Can I just say something and hear me on this? Like, I need you not to pull me out of context tonight. I need you to stick with me with where we're going, especially starting now. All of those things could be true, but they could also break down pretty fast because I know people who have waited to have sex until marriage and they are no longer married. I know people who have waited to have sex until marriage and the comparing logic, well, if you're gonna use that, don't you have to translate, trace that back to, to dating? Maybe you shouldn't date then because what happens if you date someone that you don't marry, then when you're married, you might be comparing your spouse's cooking to your ex's cooking. It's like that can break down a little bit too. Those things could be true, but not necessarily. So let me just ask you this question tonight. What does waiting to have sex until marriage guarantee? What does it guarantee? Can I tell you something? Waiting to have sex until marriage, it guarantees that you'll be a virgin until you're married. (laughs) Can write that down. That's what it guarantees. I, I think that's about it. It guarantees that you will be a virgin until you are married. Here's what I need you to understand. We don't wait to have sex until marriage because it guarantees us something in return. That was not God's primary reason why he designed sex for the context of marriage. In fact, if that's been your mindset, I think that could be a version of the prosperity gospel. What's the prosperity gospel, you might ask? Well, it's when we're obedient to Jesus because of what we feel like we'll get in return. So hey, I'm gonna follow Jesus in this area of my life because this is what I'm gonna get in return. You all have seen this like, taken way out of context, way out of hand. Maybe you've seen those preachers on TV who are like, hey, here's what you do. If you sow a seed into our ministry, prosperity gospel, then in, in seven to 10 business days, like open up your mailbox and you're gonna be amazed at the blessing you receive on the other end. Hey. Could be true, but maybe not. Prosperity gospel. If you're waiting to have sex until marriage because you feel like it guarantees you something in return, that's not the right mindset. That's not the primary reason why God designed sex for the context of marriage. The, the other idea I think we need to address tonight, and please don't take a picture and, and put this on your Instagram story tonight. But that marriage alone automatically makes sex holy because it doesn't. Marriage alone, stick with me. Marriage alone does not automatically make sex holy. Let me explain further. Don't answer out loud, but is it possible to be married and to still use sex to manipulate the other person to get what you want? I <laughs> said, Y'all couldn't resist, but (laughs) is it possible to be married but to still use sex as a weapon, to weaponize it? Is it possible to be married, but yet sex is still selfish? It's potentially abusive or non-consensual. Let me just pause right here for a moment on consent. This is a really, really important thing. If you tune out to the rest of tonight, tune back in just for a moment. This is how I'm defining consent. Consent is a willful agreement to engage in sexual acts, always consisting of an independent and clear yes between two people. This is something that should never be ignored or dismissed. If there's no clear and understood yes, hear me on this, then the answer is no, period. Like end of story, end of story. It's a really big deal. It's a really important thing. Bouncing off of that, let me me go back to that conversation. I just asked you some questions of, is it possible if you're married? Let's flip it around. Is it possible if you're not married to have sex that is kind, that is consensual, that is selfless, that is others focused? I think the answer is yes, it's possible. Now hear me, I'm not saying that sinful married sex justifies unmarried sex. What I am saying is that marriage alone doesn't automatically make sex holy, righteous, or God honoring. So then what does? Like the question you should be asking right now and the question I wanna propose is this right here. Like why is marriage important? Because hear me, I, I believe that marriage is important. I firmly believe that the scriptures are clear that marriage is important. In fact, Jesus gave us a framework for which we should live our lives and develop all of our ethics through, including our sexual ethic. In the gospel of Mark, we see it recorded. One of the religious leaders of the day asked Jesus this question. He was trying to pin on him. He was like, hey Jesus, like what's the most important commandment? We've heard you say a lot of things and teach a lot, of, a lot of people a lot of different things. And like, what's the most important commandment? And look at the way that Jesus responds. He says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So Jesus says, let me sum it up for you. Love God and love people. Love God and love others. Like that's, that's, that's the most important thing. So let me just ask you a couple questions to consider in light of that text. How does waiting to have sex until marriage elevate the value of another person? How does not waiting potentially devalue the other person? Because in a relationship, sex changes things. And here's why, because sex is holistic. It's three-dimensional. It involves your mind, your body, and your soul. Like sex is not just physical. Sex is not just a physical act. And I know this is like like challenging some of y'all right now. But if, if sex were just a physical thing, if it were just a part of life, just something that you do, then why is it that oftentimes after you've engaged in sexual activity, that the next morning or even later on when you leave wherever that place was, you walk away and you feel like you get hit with this shame? There's something known as the walk of shame. If sex were just a physical thing, just something that you do, then when you wake up in the morning and like walk to the Dunkin' Donuts on campus, why isn't that known as the walk of shame? It's different. If sex is just a physical act, then why is it that even if you don't plan on upholding this sexual ethic of waiting until marriage, why is it that many of you would say things like, well, I at least wanna make sure I'm in a relationship with someone that I really care about and someone that I feel like I'm serious with, you know, like that special someone, why? Why does it matter? If it's just a physical thing, then who, who cares? If Sex is just physical, and this is tough. But why is it that for many of you, it's linked to your greatest regret in life? It's because it's more than just physical. No, there's no such thing, hear me on this. There's no such thing as casual sex, no matter how casual people might be about it. And here's why, because sex involves all aspects of a person's humanity. Therefore, you have to take all aspects of a person's humanity into account when you choose to sleep with that person. Sex says, I'm never going to commit to one part of you without committing to all of you. And this is why sex is designed within the context of marriage, because marriage is the public declaration of your commitment to another person's full humanity. And it's only in marriage that you've already made the commitment, the vows, that sex is designed to reflect. That's why God designed it for the context of marriage. Waiting is about communicating you value the full worth of another person. God's designed for sex. It isn't repressive. It's actually freeing. It's actually the pathway to experiencing more freedom and joy in this area of your life and less pain, shame, and regret. It's the sexual ethic, waiting to have sex until marriage. It's the sexual ethic that most honors God and other people. And y'all, our sexual ethic that we uphold, it greatly impacts your life and the lives of other people. It matters. It's why the apostle Paul in the scriptures, he writes these words, check this out. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Run from sexual immorality. Like do whatever you can to get away from sexual sin in your life. Why? Because sexual sin never travels alone. It always brings with it a plus one. Sexual sin will always bring with it things like lies. You're trying to cover things up. Deceit, worry, doubt, fear, shame, regret, pain. Sexual sin never travels alone. Paul goes on, he says, flee from sexual immorality. Here's why, because all of their sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So Paul says, when it comes to sexual sin, the potential for hurt and pain is off the charts that sexual sin hurts you and the other person. And he goes on, Paul goes on to say why it hurts and feels the way that it does. Check this out. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. It's more than just merely a physical act something you do, to which some of you could be thinking and saying, Matt, well, I hear you, man, but waiting is too difficult, right? Like, you understand this. Waiting to have sex until marriage. It's too difficult. Can I just propose something to you just for thought? Take it or leave it. Why is it that you may consider sharing your body with someone before marriage, but not your bank account. <laughs> to which some of you might be like, man, I, I do, I pay for their meals. Okay, but that's just a part of it. Why don't, why don't you share your whole bank account? Give them, the, give them access, give them your checkbook. Why would you share your body with someone before marriage, but not your bank account. Isn't a person far more valuable than a possession? Isn't a person far more valuable than any asset? You know why we don't share this? It's because we put value on it. So we're wise with it. We consider it, we take it into account, we count the cost. We're often careless with our bodies. So here's what I need you to know tonight. The bottom line is this. We don't wait for marriage because it guarantees us something, but because it elevates someone. That's why. That's why God designed sex the way he designed it. That's why the sexual ethic of waiting until marriage. Can I just say this? I feel like we're living in a culture where if you uphold this sexual ethic, you're actually like shame is passed on you. Like, I literally watch TV shows. The Bachelor, I'll just say it. I watch The Bachelor from time to time just to keep up with culture, that's the only reason. (laughs) Not promoting the show. But there's always someone on the show that's like a virgin and they make it pretty far on the show. And then there comes this moment where they're like, well, have you told them yet? You know that you haven't had sex. That could be a deal breaker. As if it's like some terrible sexual ethic that's like worthy of shame. Can I just tell you, no, no, no. I realize not all of you have uphold that sexual ethic and we're gonna get to that in a second. But man, that's the most God honoring way. It honors God, it honors other people. So let me just say this to you. I realize there's some people in the room that are like, Matt, that's great, too late, bro. I've already violated that ethic. I'm not sure that that's gonna change. Can I just say this to you? You're right. You can't go back and rewrite the past. You can't. I know maybe you feel like you wish you could, you can't. But you can author a new story moving forward. You can write the next chapter. You can decide the story that you wanna tell from this point forward. So what story do you wanna tell? in this area of your life. Maybe tonight has given you some things to consider that you've never considered before, or or maybe you're reconsidering this. Here's what I wanna leave you with, a couple things, practical steps that you might need to take from this conversation tonight. The first is this, is that you cannot effectively fight sin in the dark For some of you, there is a sexual sin that you've been struggling with and you've been trying to fight it alone. You've been trying to keep it in the dark. No one else knows. Bring it to the light. You can't effectively fight sin in the dark. Everyone doesn't have to know everything, but someone does. Who in your life knows what's going on for real? I know it's gonna be difficult. I know it's gonna be uncomfortable. I know it might be really, really awkward. Bring it to the light, confess to someone. The second step that some of you might need to take is this, it's invite God into your situation and embrace the struggle. God already knows what's going on in your life and he's not looking at you with eyes of shame. Hear that, he's proud of you. He's proud to be seen with you. He loves you, he's for you. You keep bringing up your past, God doesn't, he's forgotten about it. He doesn't live in the past. So invite him in and embrace the struggle. What do I mean by that? Hey, we we view struggling as a bad thing. There's no progress without a struggle. I hate going to the gym, why? Because it's a struggle. If I'm going to make progress, I've got to embrace the struggle. It's gonna be hard, but man, I'm moving forward. Some of you, invite God in and start to embrace the struggle. Third thing is this, and this is huge. Receive the grace of God that restores and redeems. Some of you, you just need to receive the grace of God that restores and redeems. God loves to restore broken things. He loves to redeem. He loves to give second and third and fourth and fifth chances. You're not too far gone. God, you've been on God's radar. You might feel super far from God. Rest assured he's a whole lot closer than you think. It's not an accident that you're here tonight. There's a whole lot of places you could be in the city of Atlanta, but you're here tonight hearing the good news of a savior who is madly in love with you and he extends to you grace, undeserved favor. That's what grace means. You couldn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, but God says, that's how much I love you, and I died on the cross for you. Not for the person sitting next to you, not just them, I died for them too, but God says, I died for you. I want a relationship with you. I want to do life with you. So tonight, I want to create some space to give people in our community opportunities to respond. And the first opportunity I wanna give you is for some of you, you just need to, to right now in this moment, confess and surrender. Some of you need to start by confessing to God what it is that's going on in your life, that sin that you've been keeping in the dark that no one else knows about. And you need to just say, Lord, help me. I surrender to you. So just for a moment, would you just bow your heads, close your eyes, no one's looking around. If tonight that's you and and you know that, man, I need to confess, I need to open up my hands as an act of surrender tonight. If that's you, I wanna know who I'm praying for. Would you just shoot your hand up with your heads bowed, eyes closed, just shoot your hand up so I know who I'm praying for. Hands going up all across the room, even up in the balcony. Yeah, there's no shame in this. If that's you, just pray this in your heart. Just say, Father God, I need you. Desperately, I need you. I confess God that I've, I've missed the mark. You already know this, but God, I don't understand how, but yet somehow you, you still love me and that's never going to change. So Lord, I surrender to you. I trust you. God, help me move forward. Help me break the bondage of addiction in my life. Help me know that there is hope for my future. I surrender. Thank you, God. Put your hands down. The the next group of people, I, I think some of you need to respond by putting your faith and trust in Jesus for the very first time. And so again, with, with heads bowed, eyes closed, if that's you tonight, tonight's the night you wanna put your faith and trust in Jesus. You wanna begin a relationship with your heavenly father. Again, would you just, would you just shoot your hand up so I know who it is that's making this, taking this step tonight? Yeah, I see a hand right there. Keep your hands up just for a moment. I see y'all, I see you. I'm looking all around the room. I see y'all up in the balcony. If there's anybody? Amazing. Just pray this prayer. Just say, Heavenly Father, I confess I'm a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. And I'm choosing to put my faith and trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. And God, I wanna follow you for the rest of my life, the best way that I know how. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as a community, if you would, can we we stand to our feet? We're gonna get ready to respond in song. Um, But before we do, I, I just wanna say this, is that tonight we've been praying coming into this night that there would be people in our community who step into freedom, from whatever it is that they're struggling with, people who realize and recognize they're not alone and who invite God in and surrender to Him. We've been praying tonight that the the miracle of salvation would come to our community and that people would embrace a relationship with their their heavenly Father. And tonight, I just saw both of those things take place. So if we could, can we just celebrate with people tonight who found freedom and hope in Jesus Christ? Oh, come on, T-Law, we can do better than that celebrate a little bit. Come on. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you want to stay connected, follow us on Instagram at the living room ATL. Remember TLR fam, we love you, we're for you and we'll see you next time.